Well, welcome to our first week in the, yeah, 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 yeah. Our first week in the Asking for a Friend series. How many's ever um, um, unanimously, no, anonymously went on some site and asked for a friend something? Anybody? Carter has. Of course you have, Carter. Let's just give honor to Carter for being the upstanding, honest person that he is. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at questions that maybe you were a little bit uh, afraid to ask. And and sometimes in a church environment, people won't ask questions because they feel like, well, I should already know this. You know what I mean? So we just kind of stay quiet. Can I just tell you something? There's a a lot of people here today, and, and when it comes down to it, this is a big book. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. Right? There's a lot of things that we're still learning, still growing. And how many there's no, there's something in here that you still have to discover. Amen. Man, I've been serving God a long time, been preaching for 26 years, and I'm telling you right now, there's still things in here that I need to discover. That's why I keep going to it and digging in and, and learning from it. Amen. And so over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at questions. I want you to start this morning to turn your Bibles over to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And we're going to be looking at this question, and it's this. It is, how bad can I be and still be good? Well, that's a good question. How bad can I be and still be good? How many is curious about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm not talking about like, like yo, yo, bad to the bone bad. You know what I'm saying? Because y'all know how bad I am. I'm bad. Look, look at your neighbor and say, yo, I'm so bad. Yeah, yeah, say to your other neighbor, I'm so bad. And I, as your pastor, I'm here to just declare, yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, you are. Every one of us in here. And so I want us to open our Bibles to Ephesians 2. And as we do here at Momentum, I want you to stand to your feet as we honor the first reading of the Word of God today in this house. And if you're a guest, you're like, man, Ross, I've been up and down, up and down. We're just helping you on the front side of Sunday dinner. That's all we're doing. We're just, we're, we're loving Jesus and burning calories in here today. So, no, but I want you to open it to Ephesians 2. And let's look at what it says here because there is something within us. Our natures, the Bible shows us that by nature there's some flaw that happens in us, all right? And we know that flaw is sin. And I just want to see what the scripture says. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Thank you, Peter, you son of obedience. That was awesome. (laughs) I didn't even know he knew. That's awesome. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When it comes down to it, every one of us struggles With this sin nature, every one of us in this room, we struggle being good. And so I think for all of us at times, we do wonder, how bad can I be and still be good, you know? And when it comes down to it, we're going to look at the scriptures. We're going to come out of this thing today with just a a sense of hopeful confidence in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. The scripture goes on because, yeah, this nature that we have, being children of wrath, like your wife, this nature that we have. I didn't say my wife, okay, like the rest of mankind, but watch this, verse 4, but God, shout but God. God. Man, thank God he intersects our flaws and our failures and our struggles. Can I just label it sin? He intersects our sin. 
Yeah, he does. And it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and you're raised up. He's raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everybody say in Christ Jesus. You're going to see through this passage with Christ and in Christ. And what's so powerful about that, seated with Christ. What's so powerful about this, I've been teaching you at different times, the, the inheritance of God, that we are inherited people, that we are like Jesus in the sense that we are, are, are joint heirs with Jesus. Man, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. That means that everything Jesus has at his disposal, say all of heaven. All of heaven. God has for you. You bad, bad person. He does. And me too. He has all this for us. Watch what it says. And I love it because you keep seeing this in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, with Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God, I'm created for good works, but I struggle. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, over the next few minutes, would you help us? Lord God, that, that question, how, how bad can I be and, and still be good? I struggle with that, Lord. I, I know you've created me and us for good works, but... At times, there's a flaw. There's something within me that I struggle with. And Lord, over the next few minutes, would you just be able to fill us with confidence in this house? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Give God some praise, and you can have your seat. So how bad can I be and still be bad? Let, let, me, let me think of it this way. How bad can I be and still be bad? Is that what came out? That's a complete different sermon. Um, um, let me just say it this way. Bad people, I mean, are they good if they take care of their families? You know, if you're bad, but you're a good parent and you take care of your families, I mean, does that make you good? If, if you're bad and you live in such a way that you provide for your family, does that make you good? I want to put a picture on the screen. And this is a picture of some children. You see these four children. And actually, you don't see the fifth child in this picture. But this family had five children. And the daddy, he worked in an industry that was grueling. And in that industry, he worked hard. He would come home at night to the villa that he had prepared for his family. And they would take time every night as a family. His peers would look at him and would say of this man that he was a godly man. He was a, a family man. He was a loving and nurturing man. And so when it comes down to it, you know, this guy, this man, he's doing what it takes, if you will, to be good. But what would you think if I told you this man was a pick of the family? This was the pick of the family of a man by the name of Rudolf Haas. Let's put this picture up. So who's Rudolf Haas? Who's Rudolf Haas? Rudolf Haas, there's all five children there. Rudolf Haas, he was the first commandant of Auschwitz. And Haas lived with his family in a villa just a, a, a stone throw away from, from, from the crematories. I mean, just a stone throw away from where the worst of atrocities 
that mankind has ever seen took place. Just a stone throw away from where 1.1 million Jews lost their life at the largest, most notorious death camp in Poland during World War II. Would you say that's a good man now? That you see happy, smiley children. You see that he's a provider, right? He's a good man. He's taking care of his family. No, no, no. Bad people, are they good if they love their kids, if they provide for their families, if they do all this? No, no. You know what you would say? You would say he's completely bad, wouldn't you? Now, people that were peers of his would just extol his parenting ability and his provision ability and all those things. But we know him because of history, looking back with 2020 vision, that we would say he is completely, completely and utterly bad. Now, before you get too self-righteous, can I be honest with us? Every one of us would have no problem having our Facebook best presented or our Instagram moment shared for all. But there's some stuff in my past I don't want any of you guys to know. Can I just be honest with you? Heck, there's stuff in my present I don't want you to know. Can I just be really honest with you? And I don't feel like I'm alone in this room. You know, I really don't. When it comes to this idea of how bad can I be and still be good, can I just tell you right now, we're all bad. You know, and, and I think the Old Testament and New Testament, it merits that out. In, in the Old Testament, you'll th- see God say something like this, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus comes along, and people got self-righteous, and in their minds, I'm not committing adultery. Look how good I am. I'm so good. And then Jesus says, don't even lust about that woman in your mind. And if you do You've already committed adultery. Well, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) This God of grace, I thought you made things easier. Nah. No, there's a standard that he holds us to that's heavy, amen? He would say things like this in the Old Testament. You know, thou shalt not kill. But then Jesus comes along and says, if you hold hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. Jesus... Don't you know how good I am? Don't you know how bad can you be and still be considered good? Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way, the heart of man is desperately evil. And as I preach this today and you're hearing this, you're like, whoa, thank you, pastor, for encouraging my soul. What a great day in the house of the Lord. No, it's going to get good. Shout, it's going to get good. Yeah, you hold on. You watch where God's taking us. I want us to know, though, before we get to where God's showing us, we have to realize we're all bad. Every single one of us. Your two-year-old child will show you that this is the truth. (laughs) How many has a kid under the age of three? All right, under the age of one, precious, sweet, cuddly. They don't even stink that bad yet. Serious. Under the age of three, the devil is in them. I'm serious. You know, I think about, <laughs> I think about even a, a kid's show. I mean, have you ever seen the Lorax? This is deep theology. Just go with me. There's a song in the Lorax, and the song is called, How Bad Can I Be? Okay? And it says, how bad can I be? I'm just following my destiny. How bad can I be? I'm just doing what comes naturally. How bad can I be? How bad can I possibly be? Well, you know what? We're all born dead in our trespasses, and guess what? We all can be pretty, pretty bad. 
I think about Auburn when she was four years old. You, you got to understand that, that my heart in Ohio, when we went to the church to work there, there was not one person of color in our church, not one person of color. Yet our church sat beside a neighborhood of 95% African Americans, all right? Not one person of color. And we began to see God bring a beautiful diversity to our church. It's always been a big part of my heart. I just want to declare in here, and I'm thankful. Do you realize we're approaching 15% in this house diversity? Come on, somebody. Amen? It's a house for everybody. Amen? I love it. Well, that's always been a passion in my heart. And one day, Auburn's four years old. And just to show how evil our hearts can be all by themselves, Auburn's four years old, and all of a sudden, out of her mouth comes, I don't like black people. I looked at my little bigot. I'm so, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a racist in my house, and she's four. A four-year-old little racist. And the thing about it was, in that moment, I had the opportunity for discipleship, right? Now, I'm going to say this. On behalf of those who were discipled poorly, I'm so sorry. And thank God God is healing your heart. But I could have discipled her in such a way because I asked, what in the world's going on, Abby? And she said at school, because our church had a big preschool, and, and, and she said at school, a little black boy had pushed her. Now, I could have discipled her poorly and said, well, you know, you got to watch out because them folk are aggressive. <laughs> I know we're laughing, but I'm just being honest. There's a whole lot of people in our past history that had told their children things like that. Amen? Guess what that's called? Poor discipleship. Amen? So I had an opportunity with Aubrey, my little racist, to give her some proper discipleship in that moment. And Auburn was an artist. And so God just gave me this brilliant idea, you know. And I grabbed a sheet of paper and I grabbed a green crayon. And we drew a green cloud and we drew a green sun. And we drew a green bird and we drew some green grass. And we drew a green horse and we drew a green dog. And I showed her to her, and she's like, Daddy, that picture's ugly. I said, why? She said, because there's not enough colors in it. Oh, come on, somebody. So I started to disciple her in that moment. That's why Jesus made so many colors in the world. Amen? And she started, and it was beautiful. And she was in the first service today, and it was awesome, and I was teasing her about it. She had her boyfriend here today, and I was teasing. I owe her $10. I teased her so much in that first service and, and, um, and, even, and even told the boy, don't bow up on me, boy. No, I didn't tell him that. It was funny. It's funny when your kids start bringing home. They used to have boyfriends. Now, now they're bringing home men with beards better than, I can't grow a beard like. That's what I said to him. I said, but I can still whoop you. <laughs> in Jesus' name. You got to understand, that's the bad part of me. How bad can I be? It'd still be good, bad enough to take care of that boy. That's what, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, future son-in-law. That's what I'm saying. Love you. <laughs> oh, man, good, healthy fears. Good. All right, so when it comes down to my little one, you know, it's funny, though, because it just broke my heart because during that time, I was like, dude, I was the token white guy in Mansfield, Ohio. I'm serious. Every black revival, I would get asked to come and preach at and be at, and, and Martin Luther King Day, I'd get to speak, and, and man, I'd get to go in. It was, I was the token white guy, and my kids are racist. And she wasn't, but she had an incident. And the heart of man is desperately wicked. And the enemy would love nothing more to capitalize on that. Amen? 
And, and I just know each of us in this room, he has capitalized on things in our life at times that just it, it enlarged those things that are bad in our life. It caused those things to be magnified in our life. And even to the point sometimes where they become life-controlling. But man, I want you to know you have hope. I want you to know you can have confidence. Shout confidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. So all I want to start with, though, is this idea that, that even from the littlest, do you know what Arden did this week? And again, I got to get off this. She poked a woman in the stomach and asked her, now this is a three-year-old, asked her if she was pregnant. That's Satan in her. I'm just saying. So we're all bad, right? Everybody say, we all bad. Yeah, we're all bad, you know. We're all sinners, apart from Jesus, apart from being in Christ, with, seated with Christ in heavenly places, apart from that invitation, there should be no confidence in us that our goodness will ever be enough. We're all bad. And the problem with that, there's a price for being bad. Romans 6, 23, popular scripture, but if you weren't raised around church, man, it's just, a, it blows your mind. It says, for the wages of sin is death. So that bad thing, that, that sin, there's a price for it. There has to be a penalty, a price for sin, and the wage of it is separation from God. It's death. Man, that's heavy. And we see here in Ephesians 2 how much God loved us and how much God wanted to make a way for us to be able to be in Christ and have this connection and this relationship. The reason why is because we're all bad. The reason why is because we are all dead, Ephesians told us, dead in our trespasses. Those wrongdoings, those things that we would say, yeah, they're shortcomings. They're... Can we just label it sin? It's sin. And guess what? I sin, you sin. Amen? Arden Rose at four or at three years old sinned, you know? And so how bad can I be and still be good? I don't think that's really the question that we should be asking if we're dead in our trespasses. I think if we're dead in our trespasses, the question should be this. How dead can I be and still be alive? Let that sit on you for a second. How dead can I be and still be, be alive? You know, when you have somebody on a gurney and there's just still a pulse, are they dead? No, no, no. But when that pulse stops, they're dead. So how, how, how dead can I be and still be alive? There's a scripture here I want to look at. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. And it's a powerful scripture about Jesus bringing somebody back from the dead. And I want to look at that. And a lot of times when you preach a sermon, um, I try to very well do what's called exegetical preaching. You know, I'm exegeting. That means that you're taking from Scripture the truth that is clearly implied, and you're pulling that information to bear upon us in application. All right? And we try to hold the Word of God high in this house and exegete it well. Amen? You got some preachers up in here. Amen? I love it, man. And they challenge me to rise high in my preaching, and I'm their boss. I love it. But here's the thing. Sometimes you will do something called eisegesis. And this is where you read into the scripture. And so I'm taking a little bit of liberty with John 11 because I want to look at how Jesus dealt with death. If we're dead in our trespasses, what hope do we have? If, if we're bad all by ourselves, what hope do we have? And I think a picture that we can see is this picture of how Jesus dealt with death, not passively, and he didn't deal with death in such a way that he was dealing with death in the life of a stranger. This man that's dead, his name is Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends. 
one of the closest confidants, one of the closest families he would fellowship with. A couple miles outside of the city of Jerusalem was a town called Bethany, and you had Lazarus and Mary and Martha. They were siblings, and Jesus would go there to recoup and re just get, you know, just like we do. We fellowship. We hang out. We, 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 we just enjoy our, our times together, and, and that was his family. He, he had a trusted confidant, a trusted friend in the life of this man named named Lazarus. And I want you to think of yourself. That Remember the love of God that came looking for you that we looked at? God loves you. He wants a friendship with you. He wants to connect with you in such a way that you can have a sense of confidence in him. And so in John chapter 11, we'll start there. Let's go to verse 1. It says, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, um, his sister, and it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Y'all remember that story? This is her brother, Lazarus, that was ill. And so the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus, someone that you love, is struggling. Jesus, someone that you love, is at the death's doors, right there, about ready to lose everything. And what does Jesus do? He hangs out and does ministry for a couple more days. He doesn't go right away. God's going to have glory in this, but in the moment, he gives some space. I think sometimes even in our life, when we're dealing with sin and issues, God gives a little space. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We're dealing with those things that bring death, and he gives us some space. Well, I must be okay. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I don't feel convicted. I don't, I don't feel any, anything within me that, that is saying this thing is wrong. I must be okay. Even though I know Scripture says something else, but it must, that's a little bit of space. And a couple days goes by, and Jesus had a word of wisdom in the moment. And he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. So after about two days, he realizes, not realizes, he has that, that gift of the Spirit. He sees that Lazarus has passed, and he makes his way to Bethany, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brothers. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you are in my life, this wouldn't be happening right now. Why would I be struggling like this? Why would these things be taking me captive? Why would these things be holding on to me so strong if you were in my life? I don't get it, Jesus. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will forgive you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter what looks like it's dying in your life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And believe, it says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Son of God who is coming into the world. And so the next thing you know, you see that Jesus' heart is stirred. He begins to weep. It's, it's one of the shortest scriptures in, in, scriptures in the whole of the Bible. It just says Jesus wept. And his heart was heavy, I believe, because this was his friend. He cares deeply and intimately about Lazarus. And 
He cares deeply about the things in Lazarus that died. He, he cares about Lazarus. Um, you see the, the people that are there. I believe he's also weeping because he doesn't feel as if they believe that he is the resurrection of life. And they've seen him do so many miracles, and now they're doubting. And I think that just stirred the heart of the Savior in that moment. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I can do in your life? And so there's this suffering Savior in that moment, weeping, full of compassion. You know, I, I heard someone one time, it almost seemed like they had joy when they said this, where Jesus, he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you're a worker of iniquity, okay? And, and in that scripture, it, it, a man's trying to make his case. I cast demons out, I did this, I did that. And then Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, you're a worker of iniquity. And I've almost heard that passage preached, ha, 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 you're a worker of iniquity, get out of my face. I don't see that in Jesus' heart. I see a brokenness, like this weeping, this, you're dead in your iniquity. You're broken and lost, you know. I don't see a joy in that. I see a, a sorrow in that, a, a grieving in that. And so it goes on and it says, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying, one man said. And then in verse 38, look what it says on the screen. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Can I ask you how many have teenagers in here? How about teenage boys? How many of you know that room needs the glory of God? I'm just, I'm just saying, for there hath been an odor. Just walk up in there. Law, glory, glory, glory. If you can get the door open, <laughs> glory, glory, you know. It's like, oh, it's just so true. All right, verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. Now check this out. We started this talk with the idea of how bad can you be and still be good. You know, I think the question should bear upon us this, not how bad can we be and still be good. It's how dead can I be and still be alive? We see here a dead man, four days dead, separate from all that God has for him, dead. And I just want to say, I don't know what it is in our life that at times are dead. And there's people here today, dead in your sins, not in Christ Jesus, dead. And so it's not so much how bad can I be and still be free, it's, it's how or still be a, a good, it's a, how dead can I be and still be alive? Now watch what happens here. It's not enough that this man came alive. It says the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped with cloth. So he comes out and he's still bound. And for us as Christians, thank God just because we're saved doesn't mean we're perfect. Thank God just because we're saved, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have compassion on those things that bind us. And so you see a man who is brought to life but he's also bound. So it's not about him being dead. It's about him being alive. That's what's important. And then after he's alive, now it's about him being set free. So how bound can I be and still be free? 
I don't know. If I'm a Christ follower, I want to lean into what Jesus has. I don't want to excuse what's bad in my life. I want to lean into what he has for me because I don't want to be satisfied being alive in Christ yet walking bound. And can I be honest with you? There's some things in my life I still struggle with. There's things in my life that I'm still finding my victory in. Amen? I'm telling you. Watch what it says, though. I love this. Jesus says to him, loose him or unbind him and let him go. And I just want to let you know right now, there's some people in this room right now that there's some things in your life you know you're struggling with. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say you're not a believer. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say you're not alive just because you're bound. You're just bound, that's all. But on the other hand, don't let the enemy make you feel as if you don't care. God wants to look at you and say, loose him and set him free. Amen? God wants to look at you and say, loose her and set her free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because when it comes down to it, it's not about how bad can I be and still be good. No, no. How dead can I be and still be alive? How bound can I be and still be free? Man, if I'm seated with Christ, if I'm in Christ, I want all that he has for me. Amen? And I want all that he has for you. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. So when it comes down to it, dead is dead, bound is bound, and bad is bad. It's all dealing with the issue of sin in our life. But I'm thankful that Jesus has already dealt with that issue. Amen? He's already broken that. And even to the point of death, the Bible says, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? That, that all that is swallowed up. And what will happen, there will come a day someday when our mortality will take on immortality. You know, that's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, it says that, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it dwells in us, he quickens our mortal bodies. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't be satisfied with how bad can I be. I, I'm not going to be satisfied until I say, God, quicken every part of my mortal body that it can stand pleasing to you. It can walk after all that you have for me, Jesus. Amen? And then there will come a day when he'll take us. And in that moment, corruptibility will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. Until that day, guess what? I'm going to be fighting grave clothes. I'm going to be dealing with the stuff. How many have dealt with some stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so with that, dealing with stuff, it's not stuff, it's sin, all right? Everybody say that. It's not stuff. It's sin that we deal with. Yeah, it is. And there's only three ways that you can go through life dealing with that sin consciousness. And I'm going to give you these three ways. The first one is the way of the rebellious. The way of the rebellious. The second is the way of the religious. And the third is the way of the redeemed. Let me break these down real quick for you. Now listen, they're not on the screen. Why? We want you to get used to using the website, www.mymomentumchurch.tv, or is it mymomentum.tv? There you go, mymomentumchurch.tv. Go on there, and on there, there's the notes for today. And it has all these, it has all the stuff, the stuff we've had on the screen, more things on the screen, thing, places you can write some notes, all right? You can write on there, I am so bad, things like that, you know? Just write it right on there, it'll be a reminder. Or call me, I'll tell you. No. So when it comes down to it, there's three ways of dealing with this. Let's look at the rebellious. So with the rebellious, the rebellious asks the question, how bad can I be and still be good? Because they want to know how far they can push the limits. All right? So there are people in this room, 
And I'm going to be honest with you, unless you submit that to the Lord, I can't help you. All right? But there are people in this room that know that when it comes down to it, they don't care at all about pleasing the Lord. They're just rebellious, and their question, how bad can I be and still be good, is centered around them pushing the limits. All right? And all I'm saying is, why would you push the limits when all it leads to is binding and death? When it leads to walking in the less and the lack of, of what God has for you. God wants you to walk in his best. And so the rebellious, they ask that question. Then on the other extreme, the religious, they ask the same question. How bad can you be and still be good? They ask that question as they look down their nose at everyone else and compare their stuff with everyone else's stuff so that they can declare that their stuff don't stink. Amen. Y'all have been in places, I'll just say it, y'all been in some religious communities maybe at times where you felt like that. And what I think is so neat about this house is we're a place where we always say, come as you are. But we together, we're not going to stay as we came. Amen? Now, as you're growing and coming through these things that at one time brought death, as you're going, growing through these things that at one time had you bound, man, we're not going to look down our nose. We're going to be there to encourage and, and help you. Amen? But we're not going to be there to help you excuse it. We're going to be there to help you encourage through it, amen, and move forward. And so the religious, they, they do that, you know, and they set up all their, well, I'm better than this because at least I don't do this, this, and this. Well, I know I do that, but it's not like those people. Oh, those people are really bad. Those people are really sinners, you know. How many know self-righteousness? The Bible says it's a stench before the nostrils of God. Self-righteousness is like filthy, dirty rags. Self-righteousness. I'm so thankful when it comes down to it that this isn't religious. I'm looking at some of the most irreligious people I've ever met in my life. Give yourselves an applause. Amen. Yeah, so when it comes down to it, that's not the way we deal with a sin consciousness. We don't deal with it by trying to be, be um, 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 rebellious and just, you know what? I am who I am. God will just have to, no, God, I'm broken by my sin before you. And I need you to look at me and say, loose him and set him free. Amen? But also on the other side, I'm not going to be religious and long as I have my skirt just the right length. Y'all don't even know how good I look in a skirt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. As long as I have my skirt just the right length, my hair just the right length, and so on. And I don't use words that my wife uses, you know. Just kidding, baby. Then I'm okay. Then I'm holy. Then I'm right, you know. No, the third way, watch this. This is where we lean in. It's the group that is called the redeemed. There's another group, a group that knows how bad they are, but they've also learned that they can lean into Jesus. Amen? The redeemed, they put their confidence in the work of Jesus on the cross, and they rest in the fact that through him, their sins have been covered by his sacrifice. And you got to have sacrifice. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. There's a price to pay for sin. There's a price, and that price is, shout, death. Yeah, yeah. so there's got to be a sacrifice. Jesus just chooses to do the sacrifice for you. 
And so, oh my goodness, he's doing the sacrifice. He's shedding his blood. That's what the word redemption means. It means that you've been bought with a price, that you had failed. The price and the penalty was death. And God comes along and says, my son will pay the price for your death. You don't have to be dead any longer. Lazarus, come forth. And here you come alive. Amen? You don't have to be dead any longer because the price has been paid for you. You've been redeemed. You are the redeemed. You're the ones that have been purchased by Jesus' sacrifice, his sacrifice, his death on the cross. And then with that, we're going to look for a caveat to be able to go, how bad can I be and still be good? That sacrifice, that grace, that love like no one else has ever laid down a life for, like Jesus laid his life down for us. And we're going to look for a caveat to figure out how bad we can be and still say we're good. That doesn't make sense, does it? No. God invites us to lean into this relationship with Jesus. And although you may feel like I do at times, messed up from the chest up, tore up from the floor up, beat up from the feet up, but all I know is when I lean in onto Jesus, he says, you're the redeemed, and if you'll walk after me, I will set you free. So not only do you come alive, those things that are binding you, he begins to work those things out and loose those things out if we don't excuse those things. Now listen, Lazarus was alive. I'm not questioning your salvation, amen? Because that's usually the next question. Well, how bound or how, how, how bad can I be and still be good? Or how bad can I be and still be saved? I'm not questioning salvation here. Man, Lazarus was alive. But why be bound? Why not walk in his freedom, Amen? And so Romans 6, 23, it finishes, for the wages of sin is death. We saw that part. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is life. Now, here's the thing. When it comes down to it, if you have a rebellious heart in here, I, I'm not your judge. I don't know what to even do in this moment except to say lean in on the judge, lean in on Jesus, and find your rest in him. But if you have that heart set against rebellion... I'm not your judge. I'm not there to judge you whether you're going to heaven or hell. But listen, there's some people in here that you lack confidence. And I will tell you this. I'm not your judge today, but I do invite you into the courtroom. And when we leave today, you're going to have a confidence in your verdict. And your verdict is that you are righteous in Jesus. That, you're going to have complete confidence. But pastor, I struggle. I know. You struggle and you're still righteous in Jesus. Now, the rebellious, I don't know. That's, that's between you and God. But when it comes to the one that says, I'm not going to be rebellious, I'm not going to be religious, Lord, I just want to thank you for being my redeemer. And I'm going to lean into that relationship. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, you can have complete confidence in him that it's covered. Shout, it's covered. This idea, the free gift of God that's eternal life, the gospel is the good news that you have a free gift that brings freedom. It's the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that it's not about a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. Amen? Will you still struggle? Probably. Probably. In some things. And guess what? You'll get victory over some things. And then guess what else? Some other things will come up. How many's had that before as a Christian? I got victory in this area. Woo! Praise my name. Oh, I'm, a, I'm such a mess over here. You know? Yeah. You know what that just does? That just tells you, lean on Jesus. Lean in on your Redeemer. That's all it's saying. Amen? 
And so when it comes down to it, as we get ready to close, his goodness takes care of my issue with sin so that I can walk freely in a relationship with God. It's his goodness, amen? So what happens is Jesus, he takes our bad and he covers it with his goodness. He takes what is dead and he covers it with his life. He takes what is bound and he covers it with his ability to set us free. He takes all that. So the question isn't how bad can I be and still be good? No, it's how much of the God life do you want to experience? How much of this relationship with the Lord do you want to lean into and enjoy the blessing of it? The rebellious don't ever get that. Why? Because they're always looking for an angle around it. You tell me how good your relationship will be with your wife if you're always chasing the whore. Oh, I shouldn't have said, I'm, oh my. Just being honest. God has something good for you at home. But you go running around chasing something else. How good is that relationship going to be? How rich is that? But she loves me. Yes, she does. She ain't going nowhere. Maybe she's not. But how rich is that going to be if you don't lean into that relationship? So for the rebellious, all I'm saying is it's not worth the chase. There's nothing out there but death. All of Proverbs, you look at it, you'll see this idea of a woman being characterized and personified as wisdom or wisdom being personified as a woman. And sin waits at the door to rob you of that wisdom. Sin waits at the door like a prostitute wanting to take. In the first service, this wasn't in the first service. So this was some extra stuff for us in this service. I'm not sure who needs to hear this. All I'm saying is it's not worth the chase. In him is life. Amen? So choose life. Chase life. Choose Jesus. So the rebellious on one side, the religious on the other. No, no, no. That won't serve you either. That'll become a taskmaster and a burden. And you'll quit before you ever get good enough. You'll just quit. And there's some folk in this room, you quit on Jesus. You quit on the church because the taskmaster of religion got so heavy and you just felt like, why even try? Why? Because that's not relationship. When you realize Jesus, your Redeemer, wants a relationship with you, He's already paid the price and everything that he has done covers us. Then we can lean into this wonderful, powerful, redeeming relationship. And we can have confidence, say confidence, in Jesus. So the real answer your heart is asking to this question of how bad can I be and still be good. Really the question your heart's asking is can I trust Jesus with my life? Can I have confidence in Jesus? But if I walk after him... It's the best for me. In John eleven twenty six, 26, we already said it. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There's that promise. He's the resurrection. He's the life. We have confidence in him that those things in our life that might seem like they're dying, those things in life that might seem like we're bound up with, if we lean in on him, we can have confidence and trust that he will work those things out in our life. So it's the freedom to tell someone that idea of confidence. Listen to this. Confidence, confidence. I was thinking about it. Confide. Ince. Confidence. Confide. We all know what it means to confide. You confide in your closest relationships. It's a freedom to tell someone about a secret or a private matter while trusting them. Not to repeat it. It's confidence. I confide. I can lean in on Jesus. Jesus, this is my mess. Today I lay it at you. I don't excuse it. I'm not going to be rebellious. I'm 
not going to try to figure out how I can fix it. No, no. I lean into your redemption and I lay it at your feet. Confide means to trust in someone. Jesus, I trust you. It means to give to the care or protection of another. My future is in your hands, Jesus. I trust you. It means to entrust something to someone for safekeeping. Everyone in this room, you're valuable. And you can confide. You can trust yourself in the safekeeping of the Lord. And so here in a moment, as the band worships and sings, I want you to listen to the words of the song. You can stand to your feet as we worship together. We're going to worship, and then I'm just going to come up and close in prayer. But just begin to think about where your trust lies. Who are you submitted to? Do you struggle with rebellion? Do you struggle with religiosity and self-righteousness? Can you just have that sweet confidence as the redeemed? Let's worship
episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.